You are listening to the podcast of the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. CBMW exists to promote the Bible's teaching on men, women, and marriage. Learn more at cbmw.org. I'm Colin Smothers, Executive Director of CBMW. And my name is Denny Burke. I'm the President of CBMW. Occasionally, something significant enough happens in the evangelical world or the wider culture that deserves careful attention and commentary. Which is why on this episode, we are going to be talking about a conference that happened just this past weekend at North Point Community Church and a sermon that North Point's pastor, Andy Stanley, preached yesterday on Sunday, October 1st. So Denny, let's begin by giving some background to this controversy. Why are we talking about Andy Stanley on today's podcast? Well, it's really a sad reason. It's not a joyful thing to have to have this conversation, but um, I do really think that it is important that we talk about this because what happened yesterday in Stanley's church, I think, is something that can happen in lots of churches if this uh, teaching isn't clearly identified and opposed. So let me try to set this up and uh, explain to listeners why we're talking about this. So um, last week, or actually two weeks ago, Albert Moeller wrote an article for World Magazine titled, The Train is Leaving the Station. And the whole article was about the fact that Andy Stanley's church, North Point Community Church, was going to be um, hosting a conference at, that was aimed at the relationship between parents and their children who identify as gay. And it became known, and this is what Moeller um, wrote about in his article, it became known that a lot of the speakers were all affirming of LGBTQ identities. In other words, they believe that it's okay that a child would identify as gay and that would even live that out. And so you had folks that were speaking there like David Gushy, who uh, is a well-known former evangelical who now affirms gay marriage and homosexuality. Um, Justin Lee is also a very well-known author and speaker and uh, someone who affir- is, is in a gay marriage himself. There was another speaker who is in a gay marriage himself. And so all these people you know, were on the the docket to speak. And so Moeller wrote this article, uh, the train is leaving the station, meaning that, you know, it, apparently Andy Stanley and to some extent, I guess, North Point Church, but especially Andy Stanley is moving towards this affirming position because they're, they're, the, they're hosting this conference. And so what happened uh, yesterday was um, they, they just completed the conference. It happened last week. And then yesterday, Stanley, um, addressed his church and was telling them, basically responding to Moeller's article. So Andy Stanley never explicitly names Albert Moeller in his message, but he does say at the beginning that he does not hold to the same version of Christianity that Moeller holds to. And so when you listen to the message, um, the rest of his message bears that out. It's it's not the same version of, of Christianity. And indeed, the entire message is a kind of a defense of North Point's decision to host gay-affirming speakers and then for North Point's teaching on sexuality in general. And Stanley uh, says this in the sermon. He says, uh, Moeller is actually accusing me of departing from his version of biblical Christianity. So I want to go on record and say, I have never subscribed to his version of biblical Christianity to begin with. So I'm not leaving anything. And if he were here, he would say, well, Andy, I've never subscribed to your version of biblical Christianity, and that's okay. We can agree to disagree, but this is so extraordinarily misleading. In my opinion, just my opinion, his version of biblical Christianity is the problem. 
His version, this version of biblical Christianity, is why people are leaving Christianity unnecessarily. It's the version that causes people to resist the Christian faith because they can't find Jesus in the midst of it all, all the other stuff and all the other theology and all the other complexity that gets blobbed onto the message. Bottom line, that version of Christianity draws lines, and Jesus drew circles. He drew circles so large and included so many people in his circle that it consistently made religious leaders nervous, end quote. So I know it's a long quote there, but I want you to understand exactly what he's saying here. He's saying that the Christianity that Moeller represents is not his version of Christianity. His version of Christianity includes within the church those who identify and who practice um, unrepentantly homosexual immorality. I mean, that that's there's no other way to, to, to put it there. And so he, he goes on in this message, and he frames the message as if this whole controversy is merely a misunderstanding that people like Moeller just don't get it. And he says that um, North Point didn't host a Bible or theology conference. Rather, it was a pastoral conference, not designed to adjudicate the morality of same-sex acts, but really just to talk about how to restore the relationships between parents and their children who identify as gay. And he contends that North Point hasn't changed its view on sexuality. He says that North Point continues to teach the, that biblical marriage is the union of one man and one woman, and that sex outside of marriage is not God's best. And so at first blush, it sort of sounds like he's trying to make a, a Christian statement, but actually it's it's other than that. So it seems like that's what the initial reports coming out of uh, the sermon yesterday, one from churchleaders.com, some Twitter comments from Christianity Today's Kate Shelnut. They were indicating that Andy Stanley's message yesterday was actually just a basic affirmation of the Bible's teaching on marriage, while also urging compassion towards gay children. So is that an accurate summary of Stanley's sermon? Well, it would be a massive distortion of what Stanley actually says in the message if you leave it at that. It's a, it's a distortion not so much for what it says, but for what it leaves out. So Stanley, when he, he, he makes this statement where he says, look, our, he says, instead of you know talking about what we believe or what I believe, the best thing for me to do would just be to tell you what this church teaches. So without himself endorsing what the church teaches, I, maybe he's implying that he endorses what the church teaches, but he just sort of recounts what the church's official position is, and he he says that um, the, the church teaches that marriage is a man-woman institution and that any kind of sexual activity outside of that defini- definition of marriage is less than God's best, something like that. And it's, it's very pragmatic in the way that he approaches it because it's, you know, does sexual immorality work out for you? Of course it doesn't work out, therefore you shouldn't do it. Rather than, hey, the Bible says this is not what you were made for, this is a sin, you shouldn't do. So there's no sin warnings of sin there. But they do say, he does say, the church's official teaching is marriage is between one man and one woman, and um, any kind of sex outside of marriage would be uh, not God's best. But then this is the thing. If you stopped right there, it would be a massive distortion because right after that, he follows that affirmation by saying that some gay Christians find that teaching too hard to follow. Mm-hmm. He says that they find it, quote, unsustainable. And he says that that there are gay people at North Point, they know exactly what the Bible says about marriage, but they choose 
to enter gay marriages anyway because they don't want to spend their lives alone. They don't want to live without love and a family, so they marry a same-sex partner and then just add that to following Jesus. And Stanley says that North Point doesn't draw lines in those cases to keep those people out of the church. Rather, they draw circles of inclusion so that they can those kinds of folks who are in unrepentant sexual immorality so that they can remain at North Point as gay married couples. And so I'm I'm just going to give you exactly what he says here. This is a quotation. He says, gay Christians choose a same-sex marriage, not because they're convinced it's biblical. They read the same Bible we do. They chose to marry for the same reason many of us do, love, companionship, and family, end quote. Now, I, I would just argue that when he says that people in a homosexual relationship choose marriage for the same reason Christians do, that's not true. Christians believe that sex was given to us as a gift from God for the first, one of the first purposes is for the procreation of children. And that is not why gay couples enter into a, a, a so-called marriage together that that they are not entering into that for the same reason. Now he's pointing to some of the relational realities, but those aren't the, the, that doesn't comprise the purposes of marriage that God has given us. He goes on to say this, he says, in the end, as was the case for all of us, and this is the important thing I want you to hear me say, it's their decision. Our decision is to decide how we respond to their decision. Our decision as a group of local churches is how are we going to respond to their decisions? And we decided 28 years ago, we draw circles. We don't draw lines. We draw big circles. If someone desires to follow Jesus, regardless of their starting point, regardless of their past, regardless of their current circumstances, our message is come and see and come sit with me. And this is not new. This is who we are. It's who we've always been. And this is why I love our church, and that's why I'm so extraordinarily proud of you. And he goes on and gushes about the church. So he, he's basically saying, look, the, the, the point is not what we think and what we decide. The point is, how are we going to respond to their decision to live in sexual immorality? He says our response has to be to treat them as Christians, to treat them as a part of the community of God's people, even though they're living in unrepentant sexual immorality. And he goes on to speak of, he names two of the speakers from the conference who were who were speakers and who were also themselves within so-called gay marriages. So they're not just holding a view, they are in gay marriages. And he points to their testimonies as exemplary mm-hmm. and Christian. He says this, I'm just going to quote to you again so that Uh, you'll know that I'm not misrepresenting. He says, this is why Justin and Brian were invited, the two married gay men at the center of all the controversy. And I'm sure that you've read about all that. And here's the thing about Brian and Justin, their stories and their journeys of growing up in church and maintaining their faith in Christ and their commitment to follow Christ all through their high school and college and singles and all up to the time that they were married. Their story is so powerful for parents of gay especially kids, that it's a story gay parents and gay kids need to hear, end quote. He is commending the examples and the teaching of people who are living in unrepentant homosexuality. And he's saying that this is what Christian parents and Christian kids need to hear who are 
who are dealing with these issues. And so it's, it is pretty, it's a radical statement that he's making there in, in the message. So Denny, you wrote an article about this. We posted at cbmw.org titled Andy Stanley's version of Christianity. And in that article, you say that you believe Stanley's message is subversively anti-Christian. Why is it that you believe that? Well, my, my impression as I read this was this is not compatible with Christianity, but it's also has, um, it, it's a danger to Christians because the message was designed to lead Christians to believe that as long as they give a lip service affirmation of the Bible's definition of marriage, they can affirm unrepentant homosexual sinners as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. It's designed, in other words, to sound Christian, even though it is not Christian. So I use the phrase subversively anti-Christian because uh, not not as clickbait, but just my honest assessment of what this teaching represents. The message is anti-Christian because it tells unrepentant sinners that they can inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, Th- that's what it's saying. It's it's saying that if even if you're walking in an unrepentant homosexuality, you can be a part of Christ's church. The Bible, however, says things like this: First Corinthians six nine through ten. Do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? And then who does Paul name as among the unrighteous? He says, do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now, what does Paul mean there? He means if you're living in any of these sins in an unrepentant way, and you're just flagrantly living that out, you you're not a part of the kingdom. You can't be considered a, a Christian. You would need to repent of those things and trust in Christ. Or Ephesians chapter 5, verses 5 through 6. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or a covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Here's the thing. This teaching is telling people who are in unrepentant immorality that they they can inherit the kingdom. In other words, it's a deception with empty words. It's lying to them about their spiritual state. There's nothing more destructive that you can tell a person than to assure them that that they're fine even though they're walking in unrepentance. But that's what this message does. And so it's, it's, it, it, that's what I mean by saying it's anti-Christian. Now, it's subversive because, because of the way that it's pitched. It's designed to sound like authentic Christianity. And if you're listening to it, and if you're not being careful, if, you're not, if you don't have your discernment meter on, there'll be a lot of it that sounds Christian. There's a lot of Christianese in it. It's, it's designed to persuade the consciences of Christians that they can affirm unrepentant sinners as brothers and sisters in Christ and to convince those Christians that churches should affirm unrepentant homosexual sinners as followers of of Christ. So that's the bottom line. That's why it's subversive. That's why I say that it's anti-Christian. Which it seems like that's the way that it was received even there at North Point. We're told that there was standing ovation, the way that the congregation responded to. Yeah. I mean, I just heard a recording of it, and I don't know if they were standing, but it... 
I listened to the uh, 9 a.m. version of the sermon and then the 11 a.m. version of the sermon. There was two services there. At the end of both, there were ovations. Now, whether or not they're standing, I don't know, but there were big ovations at, at, at the end of both of them uh, of approval, which is really concerning. This is a, a mega church with an enormous amount of influence, and yet th- this entire congregation is not discerning that this is an anti-Christian message. It's leading people away from Christ and not to Christ. So believe it or not, that article you wrote at cbmw.org isn't even the first time that you've written about Andy Stanley this year. But earlier in January, uh, you wrote an article for World Magazine where you were talking about Andy Stanley back then possibly being affirming. What made you write that article? Well, all of every, everything that's, that happened yesterday is in keeping with Andy Stanley's teaching elsewhere on this subject. In May of last year, Stanley encouraged listeners to be in awe of the self-sacrifice of gay people whose prayers God did not answer and yet who still love God. And in that message, this was last, you know, uh, May of last year, he says that Christians have a lot to learn from gay men and women who, quote, love Jesus and who want to worship with us, end quote. And he says if churches want to reach the next generation, they have to be more like Jesus, who, quote, never started with theology, but who started with the people in front of him, end quote. And so he argues that, quote, if your theology gets in the way of ministry, like if there's somebody you can't minister to because of your theology, you have the wrong theology, end quote. And so what I argued in in my essay earlier this year is that Stanley's message comes across as a pretty straightforwardly affirming position on homosexuality in the church. He's valorizing the faith of unrepentant, sexually immoral people as if their faith is head and shoulders above the faith of people who aren't living in sexual immorality, who are Christians. He says, quote, the men and women I know who are gay, their faith and their confidence in God dwarfs mine. And so not only is there room, there's plenty of room. And and he's talking about within the church. He brushes aside what the Bible says about homosexuality as clobber verses, as if those texts somehow harm gay sinners. He even suggests that a change of theology is in order if churches can't welcome gay people into their midst. And so it, it's, it's a, it's, none of this is coming out of a vacuum. Okay, if, if anybody that's been paying attention can tell, he's been hinting towards this for a long time. And I think the whole reason that I wrote what I wrote uh, about his most recent comments yesterday is because I think Christians need to be discerning lest they get hoodwinked by messages like this. No, Stanley doesn't stay, say in so many words, I affirm, gay, I affirm gay marriage, nor does he say in so many words, okay, homosexual immorality is, is fine with God. He, he doesn't say that in so many words. What he's doing is he's affirming the Bible's definition of marriage out of one side of his mouth and then denying its necessity for pastoral care in the church. He's, den- he's denying its practical application in the lives of actual Christians. And so that's not Christian teaching. It's actually not Christian at all. So when I listened to Stanley's message from this past Sunday, there was one line that really stood out to me, and, and that's this one, quote, All of us have felt shame about things we've done. All of us have felt shame about things we haven't done. But I bet you've never carried shame about who you are. That's the difference. When people say to me, well, Andy, it's just like, I stop them right then and say, no, this is not like anything. This is an is. It is a category all unto itself, 
end quote. So in that line, he is literally telling the church to treat homosexual sin in a category of its own, something that is completely foreign to the New Testament sexual ethic. And ironically, it's the very thing that the LGBT community charges the church with doing in the first place. Well, yeah. I mean, if, if you're listening to the sermon, it's really clear that he treats gay identity as an actual identity. If you are a Christian and you feel same-sex attraction, that's who you are. Um, you need to embrace that identity. Everybody around you needs to come to terms with that identity. Now, here's the thing. I'm not criticizing that because I refuse to recognize that people have feelings for the same sexual feelings for the same sex. I'm well aware of that. Every serious Christian understands that we're sinners. People have all different kinds of sin struggles. Some people have sexual feelings for the same sex that are uninvited that they didn't ask for. What we would believe though, is that we would never turn that fallenness into an identity as if we were made for that, as if that's what God intends for us to embrace as who we are. We can recognize sinfulness without saying that that's God's you know, purpose for me in, in some way. But you can't discern what he's saying, though. It's just accepting as, as an identity. It's accepting it as a, as a category of, of personhood. That, that's underwriting almost everything that he's saying is that he's accepting this as a category of personhood, which is something that you cannot square with Scripture. And it's pastorally disastrous if you're trying to minister to actual people who are struggling with same-sex attraction. Go talk to Rosaria Butterfield. Go talk to Christopher Yuan. Go talk to Beckett Cook, if that's the way that they think of themselves in their testimonies. Um, they, they reject all of that flatly as being inconsistent with being a disciple of Jesus. They don't embrace that as their identity. They embrace Christ as their identity, and that that because that's what the Bible teaches. Well, and to... To put this sin in a category of its own, as if it's something that, like Andy Stanley is saying here, cannot be repented of, or these people are refusing to repent of it. We know it's not God's design, it's not God's best, but you know this is just what's sustainable for us, is to actually put that sin beyond redemption. If you can't repent of this sin, it cannot be redeemed, which is not at all what the New Testament talks about. Just like you quoted from 1 Corinthians 6, Paul has a category for those who once were trapped in this sin— and yet repentant, and therefore washed and redeemed by the Lord. No, ex exactly. And and to use the language that okay, some some people who Christians who experience same sex attraction, um, they found what the Bible teaches about marriage to be quote unsustainable. Really, unsustainable. I mean, listen. All of us understand that holiness is hard. We all understand we fall. We sin, okay? But the, what the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is that a Christian agrees with what the Bible says, and when he sins, he repents, eventually. I mean, sometimes we can get pretty hard-hearted, but eventually you come back around, you confess the same thing about your sin that God says in His Word, you turn from it, and you, and you walk in holiness. You don't just put a stake in the ground and say, okay, following Jesus at this point is unsustainable, I'm going my own way. The Bible doesn't call that unsustainable. The Bible calls that apostasy. And someone who puts that, fl that flag in the ground and says, I'm going to walk away 
from the Christian sexual ethic and I'm going to go my own way is a person who is walking away from Christ. They're somebody whose soul is in grave danger. They need to be warned. They don't need a shepherd telling them that everything is fine. Just come on in. They need to understand that the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ for sinners. But the gospel comes with a calling, a calling to repentance and to faith, meaning that we turn away from our sin and we trust in Christ. And we trust that he and what he did on the cross saves us from our sins. His resurrection gives us the promise of eternal life and the power to live a new life in the present. Even in spite of all of our struggles that we're no longer slaves to sin, as Jesus tells us in John's gospel. That's what the gospel teaches us. It's a gospel of transformation, but that is absent here. This is a message uh, that that allows sinners to say that walking with Christ is unsustainable. Well, thankfully, we don't actually treat other sins like Andy Stanley's treating homosexuality here. I mean, think about this approach to pedophilia or racism. We know pedophilia is not God's design, but yet this is your decision. So what, who are we to draw lines? Uh, we rather draw circles. Same thing with racism. We know racism is not God's design. This is how people are. This is uh, their decision. Our job is how we're going to respond to it. That is unsustainable. That's what's unsustainable. No, we wouldn't really accept that for any other sin. And to, to, to treat homosexuality as if, as if it's in a class of its own, that it's okay to be unrepentant of this particular sin, but other sins, um, that's not okay. That doesn't make any sense at all. I wonder if there are listeners who are maybe with us, they agree across the board, but maybe they're left wondering, what's the point of talking about this? Why does it matter to my church, this message that Andy Stanley preached? Why does it matter to my community or to my family? What would you say to them, Denny? Well, the reason for this is because this is not an agree to disagree issue. You know, it, it, the presentation in this message basically says that, yeah, our church officially teaches that marriage is a man-woman institution and sex outside of marriage is not God's best. That's the church's official teaching. However, when it comes to actual sinners who come to us, if they tell us that following that ethic is unsustainable, we'll still recognize them as children, which me as children of God, okay, as followers of Christ. Jesus warned against this kind of a thing where people who affirm true things with their words while denying those words by their actions. In Matthew chapter 7 and verses 21 to 23, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You know what that means? It means if you're saying the right things, but denying what you're saying through your deeds, your deeds are revealing more about who you really are than what you're saying. You can call Jesus Lord, Lord, all you want, but if you follow your own path in unrepentant sin, and this is not just homosexuality, this is any sin, any kind of unrepentant sinner who says, I'm just going to go my own way. Yeah, I'll, I'll give lip service to Jesus. I'll call him Lord. I'll, I'll, I'll say a prayer. I'll sign a card. I'll do whatever. But then I'm just going to live my own life as if I'm the actual one who's the Lord, as if I find Jesus' commands unsustainable. Jesus does not call those people Christians. He says, actually, many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? 
and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. What we do oftentimes reveals a lot more about what we believe than what we say. And if there's a gap between our profession of faith and then the living out of our faith, that is not something that is looked upon with a smile at the judgment. Um, that is a way to be put on Jesus's left at the judgment uh, among the goats. And so this is blood earnest, dead serious here. It's a false message. It's a false gospel. And um, I started this by saying this is not an agree to disagree issue. At the very beginning of his message, he says, well, you know, Albert Moeller has one version of Christianity. I have a different version, but we can just agree to disagree about that. Not really. I mean, you can disagree about that, but the consequences of the two different versions of Christianity are eternal. They're, they're, in other words, it, there, there are no bigger stakes when we, when we talk about this. You know, we talk about this all the time here, Colin, about, um, uh, you know, theological triage, okay, and about doctrinal priorities. And one of the things that we said when we crafted the Nashville Statement in Article, Article 10 was this. We affirm that it's sinful to approve of homosexual immorality or transgenderism and that such approval constitutes an essential departure from Christian faithfulness and witness. We deny that the approval of homosexual immorality or transgenderism is a matter of moral indifference about which otherwise faithful Christians should agree to disagree. Now, the reason we wrote that is because that's the way the Bible speaks about these issues. We can no longer recognize as a brother someone who is telling people that they can walk unrepentantly in sexual immorality and be a Christian. We can't recognize, in other words, it's not an agree to, degree, agree to disagree issue amongst Christians. This is an issue that separates Christians from people that we can no longer recognize as Christians, no matter what they're saying with their mouth, if by their deeds they're denying him. Well, I think the only thing I would add to that in terms of the, re the relevance of your church or for your community, for your family, is anyone that can't see that this issue is the pressure point of our time, the testing point for the church of our time, just isn't paying attention. Ever since 2015, the Obergefell decision, 2015, Bruce Jenner becomes the face of the transgender revolution. This has been facing the church. It's why CBMW uh, released the national statement in 2017. It's why we dedicated so much resources and time into crafting that curriculum. Male and female, he created them uh, for, for to create resources for your church, your community, your family on this issue, because it's coming. If it's not already there, you're going to have to give an answer for what you think the Bible teaches on this specific topic. And, and our real hope here, and our, our real burden here, is that we want to offer... Hope, not only to gay sinners, but to all sinners. We want them to understand the hope of the gospel, but we are actually, you're putting a stumbling block in front of them, preventing them from coming to Jesus if you tell them that they can hold on to their sexual immorality and walk with Jesus. Again, that's not just for gay sinners. That's for all sinners. I, I would never say to a person who's living in adultery, well, if you find not, you know, living in a, you know, repenting of your adultery to be unsustainable, that's fine. We'll recognize you as a Christian. No, 
That, that's not what I would say to them. Uh, that's not what I, I do say to, to sinners. We invite sinners to repent of their sin and to believe in Christ. That is the, the gospel call that we put on, on people because that's what the, the scriptures teach. So we, we, we really want to offer real hope to sinners, but we, we, we bar them from that hope if we tell them they don't have to repent of their sin. We also, we want churches to stand strong and not to apostatize on this issue. I, I, there are some, the, the pressure is getting so intense right now to just trim our sails so that we kind of go along with what the cultural winds are doing right now. We can't do that. You, you will stop being a gospel church. You'll stop being a church at all if you adopt this kind of a message. So the stakes are, are really high here. We want the gospel to flourish. We want people to be saved and to come to Christ. But that can't happen if this message takes root. You're right. The stakes couldn't be higher. It is a matter of life and death, but God's word couldn't be any clearer, which is why we would urge you to continue to stand and contend for the truth. Resources like the CBMW podcast are made possible by generous donations from listeners like you. Please consider giving at cbmw.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening.